Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The first week that the iPad hit, border sales dropped almost 13%. Welcome to episode 29 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the book retailing giant, Borders. Just a year after taking the helm of Borders Bookstores, CEO Mike Edwards was faced with an arduous task. It was February of 2011, and after 40 years in operations, Borders was filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The company needed to make big changes, and from the Michigan headquarters, Edwards was leading a major turnaround. The stores, beleaguered with debt, were operating 517 brick-and-mortar locations across the country, but now without profit. Edwards' mission by way of reorganization and refinancing was to significantly cut down on storefronts, closing about half of them nationwide, to renegotiate better lease terms, push for online sales, and then solicit the hell out of investors for a life raft, a financing plan to keep them afloat. It took several months, and by the summer of the year, he finally received an offer from Najafi Companies to buy the company for $215 million. The deal was almost done. However, the day that Edwards flew to New York to meet with the judge who was overseeing the bankruptcy case, he was met with, instead, a fatal blow. Because at the very last moment, all the creditors had rejected Edwards' plan, and so did the court, which meant that in the moment, Border's fate was sealed. Welcome to the story of Border's Bookstores, homegrown in Michigan in 1971, Closing its final chapter in 2011. There was a time long ago when buying a book meant going to a store to browse shelves and crack open spines. Regular trips to the bookstore gave time for adventure, discovery, leisure, and dare I say, imagination. 
And these days, books continue to be a major part of culture and entertainment. And though consumption has not gone down over the years, what has changed is the relevancy of the brick and mortar bookstore. As I dove into the story, I realized that the demise of Borders bookstores is highly reminiscent to that of the fall of Tower Records, even suffering a few of the same factors that brought down Toys R Us. These all used to be places where you would actually go and hang out and surround yourself with other people looking for the same experience, whether you wanted that full immersive experience with books, music, or toys. It was just this special singular kind of encounter. And for a while, that was enough to keep businesses full of customers. But then came digitization, which really changed what experience means today. Think about it. What stores are left now where you still go just to browse, where you can spend time without any real motivation other than the adventure of discovery? Quickly, the customer experience has transformed into the user experience, giving customers the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to shop, but removing many of the diversions that could make a trip to the bookstore fun. What was once considered immersive now seems archaic in many ways. The operative word here is experience, and the shifts of the consumer behaviors have ultimately ushered in the downfall of brick-and-mortar bookstores. And I think that pretty much sums up the border story. And that concludes our episode today. Thanks for joining us. But really, even though we can understand the decline in browsing the shelves, there's a lot more to the story and so much more to learn about what happened to Borders. From Mike Edwards himself, the last CEO of Borders, on why the bookseller couldn't be saved, as well as what we can all learn about digital transformation evolution, and managing a company on the brink of failure. My name is Mike Edwards, and I approve the use of this audio for the podcast. Before we hear from Mike, let's understand what made Borders one of the most iconic companies throughout its 40 years of operation. Borders was founded in Michigan in the early 1970s by two brothers, Tom and Louis Borders, while they attended the University of Michigan. And during that time, they developed an inventory tracking system that was considered precise and pretty cutting edge even back then. The software tracking system allowed them to carefully follow bookstore sales and inventory, giving them a great deal of control as they scaled up. And the first bookstore that they opened was in 1971. Then, Borders began licensing their technology and turning one store into a growing chain. And in 1985, they were able to open up their first superstore, which was a large-scale bookstore with a coffee bar that would become the prototype for all future Borders bookstores. Now, when you think about it, in 1985, there were so many things happening culturally and technologically that made sense why Borders brand went explosive, especially during the backdrop of these events. The pop world made a huge splash when it raised millions of dollars in the live aid concerts to help starving people in Africa. They also joined together to sing, We Are the World. Nintendo released the NES in North America. The movie The Color Purple premiered. Michael Jordan was named NBA's Rookie of the Year. The first dot-com domain became registered. Microsoft released its first version of Windows, and CDs were first introduced in the United States. 
That year, the new Borders made its mark in the industry and along with Barnes & Noble, pioneered the megastore concept for books. Together, they all but drove out the small mom and pop shops who could no longer compete in a market now dominated by giants. At its peak, Border Superstore did everything right. They had great selections, better pricing, mass appeal, coffee bars, and local events that drew in communities to create the experiences that customers craved and were excited to be a part of. By 1992, the book business was thriving, and Kmart purchased the chain from the Borders Brothers for $125 million. But Kmart was going through its own retail challenges and decided to spin off Borders into an IPO. The Borders Group, which it was later named, began to expand internationally. It first opened a store in Singapore and quickly joined by 40 more stores across Europe, Asia, and Australia. By 1998, Borders shares hit an all-time high at $41.75 per share. Despite the success, Borders was making moves that would ultimately become their downfall because little did the company imagine that it was unknowingly entering a downward spiral that would eventually lead to its demise. By the late 90s, some wear and tear were starting to show, not just for borders, but across the entire retail sector. We saw the digital wave sweep across multiple industries, offering new buying options for consumers. We saw this occur with toys in our Toys R Us episode, as well as music in our Tower Records episode. This disruption knocked an immeasurable amount of players off their feet, and borders was no different. They actually fell pretty hard. Right now, there are examples of how the 2020 global pandemic has crippled already weak businesses such as Hertz, an episode that we covered this season. In similar fashion, the digital wave introduced a new business model and companies that couldn't adapt quickly were left behind. So despite a seemingly successful growth plan, Borders had inadvertently stacked the deck against itself and strategic moves became calamitous mistakes one after the other. The first strength to turn to weakness was the number of stores that Borders had opened during their exciting period of expansion. Probably the way to think about it was in the 90s, not just Borders, but all mass merchants simply created growth every year by opening more stores. And eventually that organic growth came to sort of a whole. And Borders in particular did a lot of international expansion throughout Europe and the Middle East. And that was unprofitable from the get-go and sucked a lot of resources and capital to do that. While they were buying top-line growth, certainly wasn't helping their bottom line. There was a time in the 90s when superstores were a growth engine, a force to be reckoned with. The idea, bigger meaning better, that more locations meant more sales. And during this time, Borders was opening at about 20 to 25 stores per year until eventually the sales plateaued and new stores began to mean more expenses and slimmer profit margins. While many companies would see this as a case for cutting back on the number of stores they opened, that wasn't the case for Borders. 
Actually, they decided to go international and build more stores across other countries. And Barnes and Noble, by the way, never ever really took out more debt than they could manage. They never went international, and they always stayed really focused on the U.S. market. So orders sort of got ahead of themselves. And as the market was changing, they were already too overcommitted on what they had already started. The death blow came with the digital wave's biggest giant, Amazon. Amazon spelled the end for so many brick and mortars. And when Amazon emerged on the scene, they already had this great technology, easy user interface, and they had an online book experience that was consistent and consumer focused, and people took notice. Barnes & Noble, with the foresight into the future, had invested aggressively in their e-commerce platform. But Borders, well, they did something quite detrimental to their business. They actually outsourced online sales to Amazon. Obviously, when I came in, we had many, a very large percentage of our store base that was not making money, in part to very large stores with very expensive rents and long leases. And there had already started to be a shift to online. So Amazon was you know, gaining traction and share. Borders did not really have an online presence. They did, then they got out, then they partnered with Amazon. And then, you know, they got out of that. So there was inconsistency there. What Edwards was referring to was a period of time when Borders was locked into a raw deal. During that period, when you went on Borders.com, you were redirected to Amazon's platform. When Borders handed the keys over to Amazon, it essentially allowed all of its consumers to browse other online merchants and booksellers who oftentimes had better prices. Instead of seeing Amazon as a competitor, Borders saw them as a service provider. They didn't anticipate that this partnership would sour and that Amazon was ultimately building the system that would replace them. Before we get into that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by the big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after speaking with them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. And by cutting out the retail stores, there's no crazy overhead cost that gets passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, Mint just passes on the sweet savings direct to you. Mint Mobile also has high quality wireless service. I've used them personally. I don't get drop calls or spotty service. And in comparison to the almost $200 a month I was paying with my old provider, this was an absolute steal. For people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talks and texts, high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get that shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash greatfail. That's mintmobile.com slash greatfail. 
Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash great fail. When we last left off, we were discussing how Borders handed their keys over to Amazon for their e-commerce business. Huge mistake. Instead of seeing Amazon as a competitor, Borders saw them as a service provider. They didn't anticipate that this partnership would sour and that Amazon was ultimately building the system that would replace them. After a seven-year relationship, Borders was so far behind in building their own e-commerce system, they were unlikely to recover their lost ground. On top of all of this, Borders had doubled down on their music and movies department stocking up on CDs and DVDs just in time for the switch to iPods and digital downloads. Barnes & Noble recognized this trend ahead of time and began pulling back, predicting a slowdown in sales. Borders, however, was left with a store full of unsellable inventory. And if things couldn't get any worse, the ebook came out. That a tablet might replace the purchase of physical books was an understatement, and booksellers worked to adapt. But Borders never developed their own e-reader to compete with Amazon's Kindle, Barnes & Noble's Nook, or Apple's iPad. You know, the e-books when I joined were less than 1% of all publishing sales. So certainly the Kindle was on the market, but it hadn't really gained traction. Barnes & Noble was working on the Nook. We were looking at various acquisitions in the space, really thinking as part of an add-on to our existing digital brand network. Within a year, and this is largely effect of the iPad coming out into the marketplace, which was essentially orders in your hand. You know, the first week that the iPad hit, our sales dropped almost 13%, largely because people were downloading 10, 12, 15 books for free or for a very low cost. In 2011, eBooks outsold paperbacks for the first time ever. By the time Borders decided on an ebook strategy, they were again behind the eight ball. And they outsourced this also to a third party. The company they chose also produced the Kobo and the Cruise e-readers. Most of you probably are not familiar with these because they didn't take off the way that the Kindle and Nook did. The writing was on the wall, and the last time Borders generated a profit was 2006, the year before the launch of the Kindle. By the 2008 recession, the company was already under a mountain of debt and facing a restructure. They borrowed money in an effort to pay down obligations, but the mountain continued to grow. In a span of five years, from 2006 to 2011, Borders had four CEOs, with each one coming in, cutting staff, rounding up financing from investors and promising to catch up on the changing times. But with each change, the company seemed to fall further behind. At the end of the day, the digital industry was moving very fast. The consumer tastes were changing very fast, but it wasn't profitable and there wasn't capital. When you don't have the right capital, it's hard to be groundbreaking. Our constraint was capital. So... We were overloaded with debt, and that was mainly driven by the act of the shareholders that overlevered the company. So there was no available capital. You could have the biggest dreams in the world, but no one was going to fund it, right, including the company. So 
That was constraint number one. Constraint number two is that it was very expensive at the time because no one had the resources, the film and networks, or any of the things that are required to build. And as you can recall, Amazon wasn't profitable for most of its tenure. It wasn't that there wasn't a desire to get into it. It was just, can we really afford to do this? In 2009, its stock price had dropped to as low as 53 cents per share. Borders is an example of a business unable to adapt to an industry in great change. The disruption of the digital age empowered readers and consumers to find new, cheaper, more convenient ways of getting what they wanted. Superstores and traditional retail models quickly became outdated and inconvenient. When it was founded, Borders was cutting edge in the book business, and they quickly became one of the most dominant players in the book industry. But the behemoth, which had drawn much of its success from sheer size, was eventually toppled by more nimble companies, ones that were ready to pivot and adapt to a changing landscape. Borders had focused on growing big instead of refining the customer experience, something that Amazon took and continues to take great pride in. Companies like Amazon in this new era have redefined the consumer-centric retail strategy and over the years have kept customer centricity as the driver of all of its innovation. In focusing on growth without looking beyond the horizons, Borders failed to plan for an innovative future. And then the other factors that came along created the perfect storm for its eradication in September of 2011. Now, what became interesting to me is that the growth that was created both through Barnes & Noble and Borders, which was take a formula, take an assortment, build consistency, and roll it across America like McDonald's, ultimately became a disruptive lever in which people really wanted personalization and localization and wanted to feel like they had that real book-selling experience, or they would simply go online and get it conveniently at a lower price. So all these things were happening in about the same time frame. It was like the perfect storm of digital transformation. I asked Edwards, who had a lot of time to think about that and reflect on the lessons he garnered from running borders. If you see a decline in a business, an industry, or a category, don't just assume it's execution. Go beyond that in your thoughts and start to think about the consumer and how's the consumer buying and changing and shifting. And if you think it's a cold, it may be, but it may turn into a really bad flu. And you have to prepare for that. And always thinking about if I lost 10 or 15 or 20% of my business, what would I do? And that should always be driving this strategy. By the summer of 2011, after receiving news from the bankruptcy courts, Mike Edwards boarded his flight back from New York to Michigan, realizing that the nation's second largest bookselling chain had reached its final chapter. The company would be liquidated, and almost all 11,000 employees would lose their jobs with the chain's remaining 400 stores closed. I don't know that anything prepare you for bankruptcy. It's sort of up there with any other trauma you could experience in life. 
or whether it's a health issue, it's a divorce or something else, it's brutal to sort of go through that process and be viewed as the enemy with your creditors and other stakeholders and investors as you're doing heroics to save the company on a very limited window. So I think that the speed and the intensity and the emotional toll it takes on you is undescribable and that you can never let yourself show your vulnerabilities because you know you have an organization 18,000 people that are putting their very last hope in you and your CFO Even after a heroic attempt to save the company nothing could stop the inevitable Edwards didn't know what to expect when he arrived at the border's flagship office after filing the paperwork to liquidate. But when he and CFO Scott Henry walked through the doors, they were met with a heart-wrenching emotional reception. What they would have never expected was to see their staff of hundreds stand before them, applauding their efforts for 20 minutes straight. Special thanks to Mike Edwards for his contributions to this episode and sharing his experience and insights from running the iconic borders. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.